Well, good morning. How's everybody this morning? Good deal. Well, I've got a very special friend up here. Uh, she, uh, this is Ashley Martinez. And, you know, every first Sunday of the month, we always like to pray over our, our giving. We like to pray over tithes and offerings. We like to encourage uh, people to tithe. And I know a couple of weeks ago we did, or a couple of weeks ago, it's been several weeks ago now, that we did the Give Challenge. And I've heard some great testimonies come out of that so far. So we still got till April to, to be a part of that. And uh, if you don't know anything about that, then you can go back into our, our archives and, and listen to that message. But I believe that, I believe that giving and tithing and being obedient to tithe, as the word says, and being generous with our finances and generous with our time and generous with our life, I think that God, it, it opens the door for God to do something. So in, on the first Sunday of, of every month, we like to pray over that, but we also like to just give a little word of encouragement and uh, testimony. So Ashley Martinez, who is her and her husband, Tommy, are the head of our hospitality team. And, uh, but we asked her to do that. So if you would have at it, just go for it. Okay. So next time y'all can text Tommy and he'll be up here too. He told me, (laughs) okay. Oh, good morning. You guys, um, I was tired yesterday, like so tired. And I was like, Oh yeah, we can do that tithe message. So I was like, Oh Lord, this better come from you. Cause I don't have the energy today. So whatever you get, it's from him. So a tiny little backstory on us, because I tend to be a talker, and I'm going to keep it short. We got married. We were getting out of debt through the Dave Ramsey Get Out of Debt program, and we were not tithing. We became tithers, and we got out of debt, and we stayed out of debt. Yes, yes, so good. But through that, we've opened businesses. That's always been on our heart. We are entrepreneurs at our core. Um... And I believe because we did things in obedience to God and we started tithing, we have gotten to see miracle after miracle after miracle. Sometimes the miracle is not overabundance. (laughs) Sometimes the miracle is having $2 left in your checking account when you're starting a business, but you paid all your bills. So we have been through all the seasons, you guys. We have had plenty. We have not had plenty We've been able to give. We've been able to just tithe. But when we were chatting about this last night, we were both like, we always kept tithing. And there was always enough. Even if we had $7 in our checking account, there was always enough to do what we needed to do and to tithe. So I know we have the giving challenge going on right now. And what God really put on my heart was to not give up. Because Satan knows when you're trying to do something good, and he knows when you're going after God's will for your life, and he comes for you. Because when you're sitting on the sidelines not doing anything, you're no good to him or God. So he just lets you sit there, and he doesn't mess with you. But the second that you start trying to be proactive, and you start trying to get after it, and you start trying to pay off debt so you can give more to the church and give more to people and do more... Well, he's going to come get you so he can stop you before you can do that. So if you've started this giving challenge and tithing challenge, he may be coming after you. So in the name of Jesus, you declare every day success. You declare that God 
is in your finances and that you operate out of heavenly finances, not from what the world says. So today, I really, really, really just want you to be encouraged. In Ephesians 3.20, it talks about how God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you would ever imagine. And I have experienced that. We have experienced that in our life more than what we had ever even asked God for. And you just sit back and you don't know whether to like laugh or cry because you're like, whoa, we didn't know, like we didn't even expect this. But it does not say God will, it says God can. So God does those things for you when you're obedient to him. And I've often noticed in our lives, particularly, that before the miracle of abundance comes, he takes you into a place of servicehood. So I want you to slow down and I want you to look around at who you can be serving or where you can be serving while you are faithfully giving. Because I promise you, if you stick with it and you pray against the enemy and you're serving, it's only a matter of time. So let me pray over your finances today and we'll get to the message. Father God, I thank you so, so, so much for each and every one of the people sitting in here, God. I know that it is a divine appointment from you that they're in this house today, God. I pray that they feel the power of the Holy Spirit right now and that you come upon each and every person in this room and you give them a very specific word about what their finances are going to look look like over the next year. I pray for revival in finances. I pray for freedom. I pray for all anxiety to be cast aside. I pray that fear be gone. I pray that debt be removed. I pray that jobs would open up. I pray that abundance would pour into people's paychecks and pocketbooks. And God, I pray that we become the biggest blessing that this church has ever seen over the course of the next year. Amen. How good is that, right? So, so here's the deal. Um, the way you can give here, you can go online and give, of course. We got a few ways to do that. Um, but if you go to our website, n3c.church, am I right, Rhett? Yeah. N3c.church. Uh, things change, you know, and I get used to other things. Anyways, you can go there and, and hit the give tab. Or you can do it on uh, here personally. There is a uh, box around the corner on this side of the church, and you can give there if you want to give manually. All right? So with that, are you all ready today? All right. Um, Wow. I I had so many things to say and now I just don't know what to say. Uh, That kind of struck me last week too, I think, uh, in the message. Um, So if you have your Bibles today, would you go over to Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5. And uh, I've got a bunch of uh, post-it notes up here because i got a lot of ground to cover. I just checked one of them off the list. So... Good thing. So, uh, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church. And if this is your first time here, yeah, thanks, Mom. Uh, no. Uh, if this is your first time here, thank you so much for coming and being a part today. Um, man, we got a, we got a good crowd today here in the church. And uh, we appreciate you coming. Um, 
man, we've, we've got so many things that we do, so many things that uh, uh, we have the honor of getting to do. And one of those things is to have us, we have a kind of a satellite church out in California that we go to once a month and, and they'll be listening today. They'll be watching today. So if you all would, would you all just give a hand clap for, for Kingdom Ranch Cowboy Church out in Merced, California? And so they, they take our videos when we, uh, when we do, when we do a message, they get our videos and, and, uh, watch them and, and they love it when you guys clap for them. So, yeah. So anyways, so with that, um, you got your Bibles? Romans chapter five is where we're going to go. And the last few weeks we've been talking about sin. That's kind of rough sometimes, right? When you talk about sin, because sin is, is such a, such a major player in our lives in, in this world. Sin is a major player, but we don't like that major player. Amen. Because of sin, God had to send his son to this earth to die on the cross for us to uh, be redeemed or restored from sin. And so we've been talking a lot about that over the last several weeks and starting with, with CW and, and then uh, the next week with Rhett and the next week with Lynette and then last week myself. And last week I talked about the seven progressive steps of sin, which comes from James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Or you can go back and listen to that message and, and know how those those steps of sin falls and, and plays out. But this week I'm going to, I'm going to take kind of a different, um, a different look at some things. So if you, if you take notes, I encourage you to take notes today because I'm going to be hitting a lot of scripture, uh, just, just mentioning, mentioning it. We're not going to be putting it up on screen a whole lot, but, uh, just got a lot of ground to cover and I want you guys to, to be able to follow along, but, uh, but take some notes because there's some very serious stuff that, uh, that I have to say. Um, last week during the message, I was transitioning into the seven steps of sin and I forgot what I was talking about. And seriously, I mean, it's like, you know, I, I turned 55 years old on Thanksgiving day and then last week it showed up in service, you know, and I forgot, I totally forgot. And I stood up here for what seemed like an eternity trying to think of how or what I was going to say. And I lost it, but I remembered this week. So, uh, so last week what I was talking about is, is that Lynette and I counsel, uh, a lot. Even though we're not counselors, we, we call it discipleship. But people come to us when they have problems and things like that. Yes. <laughs> no, I wrote it down, so I, I know what I'm going to say. Anyways, there's people that come to us and they, they have the issues and, uh, problems that come their way. But the way that they begin to explain it as we begin to disciple and counsel them through what they're dealing with, the way that they explain it or some of the times the way that they write it off in their life is that they fell into sin because they were walking down the street, tripped over a crack and just sinned. But sin doesn't come like that. That was the whole purpose of what I ministered last week because sin is a process and it starts with temptation. And, and even though temptation is not that sin, it's when we are tempted and we begin to respond to that temptation in, with our own feelings, with our own flesh. And, and that eventually leads to sin, which eventually leads to death. 
And so there is no, you know, tripping over a crack and falling into sin. There's no tripping on a crack and falling into adultery. No tripping on a crack and falling into stealing something or telling a lie or gossiping. You know, whatever the case may be, it doesn't come suddenly and it does not come out of the blue to where we don't see it and it just it overtakes us. We start walking out a process of sin. And so that's what we talked about last week. And that's what I was trying to remember as we went into those seven steps. So what is sin? You know, there's there's so many definitions. So many people have definitions of what sin is. But the Bible gives us a definition. In John chapter, in First John chapter three verse four, it says this: Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Did you get that? Sin is lawlessness. The Message Bible puts it this way: Sin is a major disruption of God's order. It's a major disruption of God's order. So. When we disrupt God's order, when we're in that, when we're walking the Word of God and we're believing and we're having faith and things like that, that is God's divine order, right? But when we sin, it's going against that order and we step out of that order of, of, uh, we disrupt the, the order of God. So the, the, um, definition, the, the Greek definition of the word sin is to miss the mark, to miss the mark. One who keeps missing the mark in their relationship with God. That's, that's a sinner is one who keeps missing the mark in their relationship with God. What I thought was really cool, and you may know this, you may have heard this before, but the, the we get our word, uh, English word sin from an archery term. We got any people that shoot bow and arrow? Hunt bow and arrow? Yeah. So when, when they would have archery competitions back in medieval times and Years and years ago, or or they would uh, throw a spear at a at a bullseye. That there would be a, a, a judge that stands down. Of course, they stand off to the side; they don't want to get hit with anything. But they 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 determine where that arrow or where that spear hits hits the bullseye. And when somebody missed the bullseye, uh, they would they would call out sin. Sin. You didn't want to hear the word sin. And the church today doesn't want to hear the word sin. We don't want to miss the mark. We want to think that because we're Christians, we hit the mark every time. But you know what? We miss the mark a lot. Amen? Or am I the only one? No, okay, good. I'm in the right place then. But that archery term means missing the bullseye. Either by a little or a lot, a miss is a miss. And sin is sin. Amen? Amen. So how did we get here? How did we, how did we get to this place where we as humans have this inherent sin in our lives? Well, we go all the way back to Genesis. We, uh, we come to this, uh, this famous people named Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve were the first ones. They were created. God put them, uh, in the, in the Garden of Eden. Told them that they could eat of every tree in the Garden of Eden except the one. Bailey talked about it really good this morning. Except that one tree. He said, don't eat of that tree. So I don't know how long that they were in the Garden of Eden. Probably years, centuries, uh, many, many years to where they 
had their routine. They were eating of the trees, all the trees, and they were avoiding eating of that one. But there in the garden came this, what, uh, what the Bible calls as a serpent. That serpent was possessed with the, with the embodiment, or it embodied the spirit of the, the, of the enemy, devil, the devil, Satan himself came in that serpent and began to talk. Now, I don't know about you, but if a, if a snake comes up to me and starts talking, that's weird. I mean, if snake's coming towards me, I'm running anyways. I, I wanted to say this, uh, that we've got some guests in the house today, Mark and Amy Fellini back here. Good to have you. The reason, the reason I thought about that is there, there one day we was out in the parking lot here at the church and there was a bull snake, little bull snake going across the parking lot. Mark goes out and grabs that snake and picks it up. I'm running. I'm like, dude, you, you stay away from me with that snake. So some people are just weird like that, that pick up snakes. But the, the thing is, is, uh, is, uh, you know, the snake comes up to Eve and, and begins, the, the Bible calls it cunning. It was the most cunning, uh, creature in the garden. And so that means it has the ability to, de- to deceive. And of course, Eve was deceived to go and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When she ate of that, she gave it to her husband. And when Adam ate of that, sin entered into this earth. So that's how we got here. So here in Romans chapter five, I'm just going to read one verse here and then another one in just a second. It says, um, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin, uh, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. That's how sin got in. One man opened the door did what God went against the the divine order of God, went against the word of God and opened the door for sin to enter this earth, right? So going down to verse 19 and it says, for by one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. One man's disobedience allowed sin to come in But the answer to getting out or getting free from that sin is Jesus. Is because his obedience to go to the cross, to, to, to live on, you know, 33 and a half years on this earth, walk out what God called him to do. He never sinned once and died on a cross as a sinner in our place, in the place of a sinner in order to redeem and to, uh, and to make us righteous. Amen. That's good stuff. Thank God, right? So when we think about that, what, what is the purpose of sin? What does sin want to, to accomplish? What did the enemy want to accomplish by, uh, by sin entering into this earth? He wanted to accomplish uh, or to bring about to create separation from man and God. He wanted to create separation. If we sin, there is a separation that happens between us and God. Then there's another separation that takes place in the midst of that. It's separation from others and separation from ourselves. So there's three types of separation. Separation from God, 
separation from others, and separation from ourselves. Sin does this. That is the purpose of sin, to try to isolate every one of us, get us off by ourselves, so that we um, feel so guilty and shameful that we don't want to be around anybody else, and we don't think anybody else wants to be around us, especially God. Amen? The pathway of sin, what what Adam did, what happened to him when he sinned, and also what happens to us when we sin, the pathway of sin is feeling guilty and shameful. Have you, have you ever witnessed that? You've done something, you know, it went against God's divine order, and all of a sudden you feel this guilt and shame, this heavy weight that we, that, that comes upon us, right? So we, what we want to do is naturally what we want to do is hide from God. We don't want to be, I mean, gosh, why would God want to be with me? I feel so dirty, so nasty and shameful that why would God want to be with me? That's exactly what happened to Adam when he sinned. All of a sudden he realized that, that this, this feeling, this remorse had entered in, this depression had entered in, and he went and hid from God. That's what we do. We want to hide ourselves from God. Then, um, when God said, Adam, where are you? He says, I'm, I'm naked and I don't want to be around you. And he says, who told you you were naked? And he says, well, I hid myself. I hid myself. So he hid from God and then he hid himself. And, and what he meant there was he, he did not, he did not say we hid. He said, I hid. He did not say, you know, um, I hid us talking about him and Eve. He said, I hid myself. He separated not only from God, but he separated from his wife at that moment. He separated from others at that moment. The only others that were there were Eve, but he separated from, from his, uh, from his wife. Then the woman who was, she wasn't called Eve yet. If you read your Bible, she is not called Eve until the third chapter. She's with her husband and, and they were considered one flesh. So when God called Adam, he called both of them. She went by the name Adam at that point. And so when, uh, when she, uh, I'm trying to think here. I'm not having a senior moment. I'm just trying to think about how to put this in, into, uh, the right, the right thing. God separated from her. I mean, uh, Adam separated from her and therefore he went by himself. So he separated himself whenever he hid himself. And you see where I'm going with this? We like to separate from God. We like to separate from others and we like to separate even from ourselves in the midst of sin. We don't like to even look in the mirror sometimes. So. Notice what I said there, that I didn't say God separated from him. He separated from God. God loves us with so much love. He can, you know, despite sin, God will always come looking for us. He came looking for Adam like he didn't know that Adam sinned. He knew Adam sinned and he knew where Adam was, but he still came pursuing Adam even though sin had set in on Adam. He came and looking for him. He said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? That's what God does to us. When you sin, he don't get grossed out. 
When you sin, he doesn't try to separate himself. He doesn't try to put distance between you and him. He doesn't do that. He comes pursuing. So I want you to understand that when, you know, whatever sin you deal with, whatever sin that happens in your life, know that God is pursuing you. His grace and his mercy is there. And he wants to be with us regardless. Because it's only through him and only for what he provided through his son Jesus that we have any kind of redemption out of sin. See what I mean? So just like he did for Adam, he does for us. As, as I think about Adam and, and what he did, the, um, you know, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the very thing that God didn't want him to do, I, I read that story and all through that story, you never one time, even though God confronts Adam, he confronts Eve and he confronts the serpent, you never see Adam, you never see Adam own it. You never see Adam repent. You never see Adam apologizing. You never hear of Adam taking accountability for his sin. He immediately played the blame game. He said, that woman you gave me. You know, not only is he blaming his woman, but he's blaming God. He said, that woman you gave me. We as dudes like to do that a lot. We like to just, yeah, that woman you gave me, God. But even in the midst of that, you know, I'm not saying that he didn't feel any remorse. I'm not saying that he didn't feel any guilt or any shame. He did. Yeah, I mean, you can see it in his attitude uh, of what what he was feeling. But we do see in the midst of that, regardless of whether he owned it, whether he took accountability, you know, whether he felt remorse, whatever the case may be, you see that God's goodness and his grace and his mercy was there to flood Adam and, and make him as right as he could be. Amen? So I got to thinking as I was putting this together of how would things be different if Adam's response was different. See, we don't see him respond and take ownership, but how would things be different if he would have? What if he in that in that moment would have said, oh, God, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I, I just, I, I did it. I did it and I ask you to forgive me. Man, what would it be like? What? I mean, I don't know what it would be like, but I think that it would be different for us. I, I you know, I don't think that God would have gotten rid of, uh, you know, sin altogether, but there would have been so much easy. It would have been so much easier for us as we operate and go through life. It would have been so much easier for us if, if Adam would have done that. I think, I think I have a book that I bought several years ago called The Forgotten Books of Eden. And there's a book in that. It's kind of it's kind of laid out kind of like the Bible, chapter and verse and things like that. But uh, um, anyway, it's called the, the Forgotten Books of Eden. And there is a whole book in that, within that, uh, within that book called Adam and Eve. It's the story of Adam and Eve from the time they fell till the time they died. And so, now listen... That book is not canonized scripture. It's not declared as 
something that we can live by like we do the Bible. So in other words, it, it, all it does is fill in the blanks. It is not, I wouldn't say that it's perfect, uh, a perfect, um, uh, fill in. I'm not saying that, that this is God's word, but it, it, it is very interesting to see what Adam and Eve went through as they were kicked out of the garden. They got kicked out of the garden because God didn't want them eating of the tree of life and living forever in, in the state of sin. So he kicked them out of the garden. He put them out and they had never been in a deserted place before. They had never been where, where stickers and thorns were and animals had, you know, had poison on the inside of them. You know, the, the snake was not, uh, that talking, cunning thing anymore. Now it has poison in it. And so <clears throat> it, it tell, but this book tells the story of Adam's fears. And his limitations and his anxiety and his depression. It tells the story of Adam. Stay with me on this, but I thought this was fascinating. It tells the, it tells the story of Adam committing suicide. He was so depressed. And then he would be raised from the dead. God would raise him from the dead. I mean, he did that several times. And, and the, the darkness, they'd never been in darkness before. The darkness had them so uh, paralyzed with fear. So this is things that that book says. And I think I can understand that because when we get into to sin and we allow sin to become a major player in our lives and we allow it to, to do what it does, it brings about death. And I can imagine the depression. I can imagine the anxiety. I can imagine the limitations and the fear that, that would come. Amen. It's the issues that we deal with today, right? Those are things, I mean, every day in the news you hear people dealing with anxiety and depression. I mean, if, if the news don't say it, the TV commercials will. You know, take this drug for your depression. Take this drug for, you know, whatever. And so I think we, would we still deal with those issues if Adam would have just said, God, I'm sorry. I did it. I own it. Had Adam's response uh, been different, would we deal with anxiety, depression, and addiction today? It's just a thought. But when we don't handle the process that leads to sin that we talked about last week, uh, James chapter 1 said, endure temptation. He didn't say that we wouldn't have temptation. He said, endure the temptation when it comes. Fight for your right to live free from temptation, to, to get past that moment. Amen? It is. It, when he says endure temptation, it means you're going to have to suffer through some things. You're going to have to fight through some things. When we don't handle the process that leads us to sin, we'll end up in slavery to sin. Jesus said in John chapter 8, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, that don't mean that one time you gossip, you lie, you, you know, you, whatever the case may be. That don't mean that one time you do that and you're a slave to sin. Because that word commit, when Jesus said whoever commits sin, the word commit there means to make a practice or a lifestyle of it. When we make a lifestyle, that is what we call addiction. Amen? That's what we call addiction. When we make a lifestyle of sin in our lives and we're dependent on that, 
Addiction means dependent upon or unable to stop something. That is what Jesus was saying. You become a slave to that. When, when you put yourself and make that your lifestyle and your practice, you become a slave. You become a slave to sin. So I believe that when we don't properly or methodically take ownership, have remorse, have, uh, take accountability, or, or be in account, being accountable to, uh, to God, Instead of sin, when we don't do that properly or methodically, we will end up in the condition uh, that mirrors being a slave to the sin. Amen? Amen. So what I have learned about getting some freedom from sin, what I've learned over the years, the pathway to freedom is made up of eight R's, eight words that start with the letter R. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The eight R's of freedom. If you have clawed your way out of, of sin, if you've, if you've been addicted, I know there's some people that's been in addiction in this room and, or even watching. I know people have been in addiction, but you've got through it. You've gotten freedom from that addiction. Praise God, right? Praise God. So as I go through these eight R's, you're going to see some of the things that helped you claw your way out of that. But there may be people sitting in here that you're struggling to find that freedom. And I'm going to say this, is that what we're going to talk about today will bring some hope and some help of getting you freedom. Amen? Amen. So the first one that I want to... I'm going to go through these pretty quick. So the first one, the first R to the eight R's of freedom, the first R is to recognize. Recognize. We have to recognize that there is a problem. I mean, we're, we're feeling the guilt. We're feeling the shame, right? We're feeling the, the remorse, but we have to recognize where, where it comes from. We have to recognize the problem. It's, it's not difficult if you're a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, you can feel it because you have this thing on the inside of you called the Holy Spirit. Well, really, He's not a thing. He's a heat. But... He's the, 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 the spirit that was the same spirit that was in Jesus that helped him walk out a perfect life is living on the inside of you. So when we do sin, when we do have that, that choice and we choose to sin, then there is a thing called conviction or condemnation. And if we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. He don't bring condemnation. The word condemnation means is, is this, the judicial act of declaring guilt and dooming him to punishment. So God doesn't doom us to punishment when we sin. He does, he's not the one that comes in and says, I'm going to hammer you for, for sin. Sometimes we think that because we think that about ourselves. Or we think that towards others. When somebody wrongs us, there's some people in this room, and I'm going to look at the ceiling on this. There's some people in this room that when somebody wrongs you, you want to get them back. You want to, I'm not looking at you. It's because you said that and I looked at you. No. See, that's why I need to look at the ceiling. But we want to, you know, we want to get them back. We want to make them pay, you know. God's not like that. God's not like that. He's not here to condemn us. He's here to, the, he gives us the Holy Spirit 
to convict us. The word conviction means compelling one to admit the truth of a charge. Compelling to admit. That's exactly what recognizing sin does. When we recognize that, it compels us. It compels us to admit it, to own it. Um, We have to take that responsibility. Number two, responsibility. We recognize and we, we take responsibility. Responsibility means to own it. Own it without excuse. See, Adam didn't own it without excuse. He said, that woman you gave me. God, that woman you gave me, I'm going to blame that. I'm going to shift the blame into this. I I wouldn't have done this had you not given me that woman. I'm sure God was, I mean, it was probably everything he could do to not. (laughs) If baseball would have been committed back then or been created back then, he would have had a bat, you know. Thank God. No, we have to own it without excuse. We have to own that we partnered with temptation. We have to own that we followed the path to sin. We have to own that it was me and me alone that took this down. There's no one to blame. It was all me, God. It was all my fault. What we have to do in that moment is to lay the sin at the foot of the cross, admitting that we entered agree, entered into agreement with sin. Man, we got to own it. We got to recognize it. We got to take responsibility for it. Number three, repent, repent, repent. Repenting is just not an, is not just an apology. It is an apology, so to speak. In the midst of of our repenting, we can say, "God, I am so sorry." I apologize. But even though we have a deep sorrow and remorse, we have to, we have to, to repent. Repentance is about a direction on a path. It's about direction of the path of sin, uh, coming back to the path of God. If we've, if we've set, um, if we've upset the divine order of God, God's pathway, God's purpose for us, and, and we're following him and we sin. What we've done when we sin, we turn away from God and go the other way. But to repent means that we turn back to God. It's repenting is doing a 180. It's, it's going, it's, it's about going one way and turning completely around and going the other way. I love Psalm 23 because Psalm 23 says, that your goodness and your mercy follow me all the days of my life. You know that? See, grace is something that, that's out in front of us. We're, we're walking in, in grace. But mercy is following us all the days of our life. Even when, we, even when we sin and turn away from grace, mercy is following us right behind us. We can take a million steps away from God, but it only takes one. Repentance to turn back to him and we run smack into mercy that puts us back on the line with grace. Amen. Amen. So we recognize, we take responsibility, we repent. And number four, we renounce, renounce. 
This word renounce means a formal declaration of one's abandonment of sin. And we will not engage in or support that sin as a part of our lifestyle ever again. That's what what renouncing is. It's declaring that you don't want anything to do with that sin. It's coming to a place where we say, that does nothing good for me. I am not going to do that again. I call you out. You are not a part of my life anymore. Amen? And um, I love the scripture in Mark eleven twenty three. This is a, this is always this is always kind of uh, not been a real huge understanding to me because Jesus said uh, that in in Mark eleven twenty three he says speak to the mountain and the mountain will be re-. when we have our faith our faith when we have our faith built up we can speak to the mountain and the mountain will be removed. Now, you can go out here to Long's Peak and stand at the base of Long's Peak and speak to it all day, and it'll stand there. And I'm like, Where, what is this, God? What, what is this about? I believe that what Jesus is saying there is he's saying when those mountains come up in front of us, when the mountain of sin comes up in front of us, when we have sinned and there's this mountain we can't get around on our own, he said, if you'll speak to that mountain, if you'll declare that you're not going gonna to partner with that mountain anymore, it'll move. When you tell it to go, it has to go. Amen. There is nothing, there is nothing, there is no power that the enemy can bring over you that is stronger than the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. That's why the scripture says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Amen. 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 So when we speak to that mountain, it has to move. This is where we can activate our voice of faith is to declare and renounce sin in our life. And that's where we get hung up sometimes. That's why sometimes we, you know, we repent of our sin. But when it comes to renouncing, we haven't renounced. And therefore, it's still sitting out there in front of us. And we keep walking into it. We keep walking into it. That's how addiction starts. That's how slavery to sin starts. Is we don't renounce it. We don't command it to get out of our way. And we keep bumping into it. The fifth thing that we, the fifth R that we deal with is we have to remove it. We renounce it, but now we have to remove it. To remove means to get it out of our life. Get it out of our life. Ephesians 4 says to give no place to the devil. It says give no place to the devil. When you look at the, the definition of that, it says give no residence to the devil in your life. He's going to try to come and take up residence. He's going to try to come in, set up a tent, build a house, and try to live in your life and, and rule and reign in your life. Even, I mean, even good Christians, good Christians can have the enemy setting up in their life, camping out. And, and if we don't do something about it, he's going to stay there. We have to remove that. We have been given power, dominion, and authority from the Holy Spirit on the inside of us in our own life to be able to evict the devil. To evict the devil and get the devil out of our life. He does not overpower. He, let me, let me tell you something. The devil doesn't run around in this, you know, as big, tough, monster-looking guy with a red suit on with a pitchfork and a pitchfork tail. He's not that. 
As a matter of fact, the book, I think it's in the book of Isaiah that says that when we see the devil, when we finally see him for who he is, we're going to say, this is him. This is the one that caused hell in our life. This is the one that picked on. This is the one that, that, that deceived us into sin. This is the one. He's a weenie. He's a wuss. Oh, Pastor Darren, you better not say that. He'll come after you. You know what? I've dealt with him before, so it's no big deal. Amen. We have the right to, to evict him. We have the ability, the, the, the uh, dominion, the authority, and the power to evict the devil from our life. Now, here is where a very Im- important word comes into play. There's a word that, that is, or there's a ministry that happens in churches, especially churches like ours who, who are more charismatic, more, um, more Pentecostal, if you will. Um, and, and this word is called deliverance. It is, it is the very thing that Jesus said, you shall cast out devils. If, if God has given us dominion, then we have the ability to have deliverance. We, we have the ability to deliver and be delivered. Amen? We don't have to live our lives under the rule and reign of the devil. So this word deliverance comes up in this topic. And, and let me tell you something. These eight R's ain't the only way. All right? These, these are just things I wanted to share with you. There's more if you need more. You, you get what I'm saying? I'm not saying this is the only way. Because there is a place of deliverance that's taking place. That can take place to get us out of addiction, to get us out of of being in that place where we feel that we have no power ourselves. Amen. So this is where deliverance topic comes up. Let me just say this: as a Christian, you cannot be possessed by the devil or an evil spirit. You cannot be possessed because you have sold out to God. You are possessed by the Holy Spirit, and those two cannot reside in you. However, say that. However. However, we can be oppressed by the devil or any, an evil spirit. We can be oppressed. What's the difference? Possession is, is ownership. That the, we, we give ownership to the devil and the evil spirits. But when we're oppressed, a Christian can be oppressed because he's given into sin. He has, um, uh, he, he has become addicted or whatever to that sin and in that we can be oppressed and that's where we can get deliverance from oppression that weight that 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 uh that feeling of not being enough and and not being able to do what god what you believe god's called you to do are you with me we can be delivered of that that is a part of removing that evil from our lives amen that is a that is a totally different thing. I mean, not a totally different thing, but that's a more intensive situation that can happen uh, if we choose to go down that path to be delivered. Amen. All right, y'all good? Y'all okay? See the the uh, in Deuteronomy twenty eight, it talks. Uh, I, I love reading Deuteronomy twenty eight verses one through fourteen. Talks about if we will obey the word of God. If we obey the word of God, we will be blessed. 
Amen. Blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed going in, blessed going out, blessed in the mall, blessed in Walmart, blessed in King Supers. We, uh, we are blessed coming in and going out. But verses 14 uh, through like 29 or from verse 14 to the end of the chapter talks about if we don't obey the word of God, if we don't obey the word of God, it says that we open the door to being oppressed. I don't want to open the door to being oppressed. I don't believe that God's people should be oppressed. I believe that God's people should live in freedom and bringing, bringing freedom to other people. Amen. Jesus said in Luke chapter four, uh, chapter four, verse 18, in his first message that he preached, the first message that he's read from the word of God, he said that he came to set free all who are, who are oppressed. He came to set us free. Amen. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says this about Jesus, that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So we can be free from oppression. Amen. Sometimes we can accomplish freedom on our own and sometimes we need help. Whichever the case may be in your life, the fifth R is crucial to our freedom. We have to remove it. We have to get rid of it from our life. Amen. So once we do that, we move on to the sixth R and the sixth R is resist, resist. When Jesus was tempted by the devil in, in Luke chapter four, it says that, that he overcame Satan. He overcame the devil, overcame the temptation. And when he overcame that temptation, the Bible says that the devil left him for a more opportune time. In other words, the devil, you can get rid of him, but he rest assured, he's coming back. He's coming back to try to tempt you again. Temptation is coming at you again. What he does, what the enemy does is goes and waits and watches until you're weak. Waits for that weak moment because we're human. We're human. We're up one time at one moment and we're down another. And he's waiting to see that you're down. And once he gets you down and gets you in that vulnerable spot, he comes in and tries to tempt you again to try to enslave you and empower you or uh, to take away your power so that you're not, you're, you're separated from God. That's what he wants to do. The enemy will return. And what do we do when the enemy returns? James chapter 4 verse 7 from the New Living Translation says this, So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Resist the evil. Resist the enemy. And he will flee. Resist. Resist him. Whenever I read this verse, I always think about when we first got into cowboy ministry. There was a cowboy minister down in Texas that ministered with his dog. He had this dog and he would speak for the dog. I mean, it was kind of a kind of a puppet show, really. Good looking blue healer stayed right by his side and all that kind of stuff, you know. And he would speak for the dog and he'd say, I don't remember what the dog's name, Wilbur or something like that. He said, Wilbur? That's a horse, wasn't it? Wilbur was a horse. Uh, Pig. Yeah, pig. Ed, Ed was the horse, wasn't he? Oh, Wilbur. Yeah. Wilbur was the dude, right? Okay, never mind. He would talk to this dog and he would say, you know, puppet that dog. And he'd say, resist the devil and you won't have fleas. Anyways, 
I don't know why I told you that. That's just what I think of when I read this verse. Resist the devil and he will flee. Gosh, I hope you all come back. Pastor Lynette's preaching next week, so I hope you come back and see her. Listen. Listen. I ain't got much time. Quit laughing. Uh, Temptation has no power in our lives except when we say yes or we say no. No means no. We, we take that in, in our culture as meaning other things. When we say no to someone, it means no, right? Well, it means the same thing in the spirit. It means the same thing with evil. It means the same thing with the devil. It means the same thing with Satan and his cohorts that tries to get into our life. The only time that temptation has power over us is when we agree and say yes or we disagree and say no. That's how we resist. Resisting ain't some kind of uh, system that we do, some kind of thing that we do. Resist, uh, resisting is just simply saying no. I'm not doing it. No. Amen? No means no. Resist is number six. Number seven is rejoice. Rejoice. True rejoicing is relying upon our attitude of gratitude. True rejoicing comes from our attitude of gratitude. Gratitude and thankfulness is displayed in our praise and our worship. It's Now listen, praise and worship is not always just music. It can be music, but when we're thankful, when you, okay, listen, you, you may be like me and not have a good voice to sing and praise, and that's, that's okay. I'm not saying that that's a way out, but I'm just saying sometimes we just need to be vocal. Not in singing. Some of y'all don't sing except in your car or in the shower or in your closet, okay? I'm saying, <laughs> me too. But the, but the fact of the matter is, is we have to be in this place of gratitude and thankfulness when we are free. When God comes and, and gives us freedom, when we see the freedom, we gotta thank God. We gotta be grateful. We gotta be, uh, we gotta be, you know, a people of praise and people of worship. And we thank God. Some of the best praise songs are freedom songs. Some of the best praise and worship that we have, even when, even in music, is a freedom song. I, I read the, the, the Psalms in, in, you know, the, the book of Psalms in our Bible. Many of those songs were, songs, Psalms were written being free and forgiven from the worst sin moments. Psalm 51 is a perfect picture of that. David wrote Psalm 51 when he was coming out of sin with Bathsheba, committing adultery with Bathsheba and killing her husband. He comes out of that and writes a song of praise and worship and thankfulness that God has forgiven him. He says, create in me a new heart, O God. Create in me this new heart that I, I don't go back to that sin. Some of our best songs were written in the worst moments, worst sin moments. Don't be afraid to worship, praise and worship God for your freedom. Don't be afraid. Be thankful. Be gracious, gracious that God has given us freedom. Amen? And number eight, the last one, is restore. Restore. 
I love this number eight, uh, that there are eight of these. And this number eight is, it falls into this place because number eight, uh, in, in biblical numerology means new beginnings. Every week we have a new beginning. We have seven days in the week. And when that next, the eighth day or the first day of the week rolls around, it's a time to set new beginnings in our life. So the number eight, I love this number eight because once we get through this process, what we find is we step into a new beginning. When we get freedom, we step into a new place, a new, a new time, a new, uh, a, a new attitude. Eight is about new beginnings. And what takes place in that is testimony. Testimony is birthed from our freedom. When, when restoration happens in our life, testimony is birthed. Because freedom is not just for you, but those who are around you. When you get freedom, it is so cool to share that with somebody. Share the goodness of God. Share what God has done for you. Share that God has restored you. Share that God has got you out of a, out of a pit of darkness and up into the marvelous light of who He is. We have to, we have to, that's where testimony is birthed. Because freedom is not just for you, but for those around you. Your journey of freedom plays an important role in others' life. See, we live in this world of, of, of influencers. You've heard that, right? I, I have not heard the word influencer so many times in my life until now, in this day that we live in, this culture and society we live in. Everybody wants to be an influencer. And that's great. I love that. I love people who want to be influencers. But influence does not... Most of the time, influence does not have a long-lasting effect. It's when you're inspired. Testimony should bring about inspiration. See, the, the Bible is called... The reason the Bible has been the best-selling book for ever, the reason that it is, is because the, in Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, in I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16... First, second, go, you'll find it. Go to both books, you'll find it. It says that the Word of God is, is, is from inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's why it lasts. It's not just because He influences us. He does influence us. That's what part of what grace means, is He's an influencer. But it's from the inspiration that we get the influence. Not the influence get the inspiration. It's the other way around. And so, testimony brings about inspiration not just influence. In a world of influencers, inspiration has a stronger impact on our society than, than just being an influence. So with that, imagine, if you would, imagine how different things would be if Adam's response was along these lines of these eight R's. What if he would have recognized I'm sure he recognized, but what if he would have responded in a different way? What if he would have repented? What if he would have took ownership? What, what, what if? What if? How much different would our life be? But see, I don't want to hang you up there. I don't want to stop that. I want to, I want you to think you've got something here that you can respond different than Adam did. You have the ability to respond different. You have the ability to live in a place of freedom. You have the ability to have a testimony because you've methodically walked this out. I've done this. When I started learning these eight R's, I, I walked, I, I had to walk it out. I had to 
find when, when I would sin, I would have to say, you know, okay, do I, I recognize? Do I take ownership? Do I, do I take responsibility? Do I repent? I have gone down these things. And, and so I encourage you to go down that. I remember I went to, uh, the first place I heard this was down at a school that I went to. Uh, I, it really wasn't a school. It was more of a, a program that I went to after I was diagnosed in 2016. In January or February of 2017, I went down to Thomaston, Georgia, to uh, a guy named Dr. Henry Wright and was uh, dealing with the diagnosis, and I was wanting to get rid of that. And I remember sitting, it was like on a, on a Thursday afternoon, and I'm down there. I'm, I'm not good being in strange places without my wife. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a people person. I don't talk a whole lot. I'm kind of an introvert when it comes to that. I know it's, it's really hard to imagine that I'm an introvert, right? <laughs> I'm not a type A personality. So I went down there. I went down there by myself and I'm sitting there talking to these strange people because these people come from all over the United States. I mean, they weren't strange. I was probably strangers than them, but they were strangers to me. So I'm talking to this guy. And I'm sitting there, and this is, this is embarrassing. I, I'm, I'm, but I feel like I need to say this because your pastor's not perfect. I'm sitting there talking to this guy at lunch, and he's asking me, you know, all these questions, where are you from, all this kind of thing. And I asked him where he was from, and he says, well, I'm from New York, but, but I, I moved here from out of the country, and I lived in North Carolina. Have you ever been to North Carolina? And I looked at him, and I said, yeah. I ain't never been to North Carolina. I ain't never been. And, and I, I flat out lied to the guy. I mean, I looked him directly in the eye and I said, yes. And then I tried to play it off like I'd really been there. Embarrassing. I'm, I'm sitting there looking at him and I know, I'm, I mean, the Holy Spirit on the inside of me says, whoa, you, you just lied, boy. It was that woman you gave me, God. <laughs> she wasn't there. That didn't work. That didn't work a bit. So anyways, we, we finished our conversation. I never corrected it. We finished our conversation and went on about our day. I went back to my cabin that, that I had there and went through my homework for the evening and, uh, I mean, all day, all afternoon, that just just kept bothering me, kept bothering me. I'm like, God, he ain't going to know the difference. I don't know him and I'll never see him again. It's, it's, it's all good. No, that, that remorse, that, ugh, that guilt and shame was on the inside of me. So the next morning I, I said, all right, I'll, I'll correct this. And I went to the guy and I said, I need to talk to you for a minute. He was okay. So we went and sat down and I said, look. I said, yesterday you was talking to me about North Carolina. Dude, I lied to you. I ain't never been to North Carolina. Until that next week, and I'd never been to South Carolina. I went to see my friend, but I had never been, and still yet to this day, I've never been to North Carolina. But I told him, I said, I lied to you, and I ask you to forgive me. Please forgive me for, for, for lying to you. I, 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 just, I just wanted you to like me or something. I, I don't... You know, I don't know why I did it, but I, I did it, and I'm sorry. He goes, oh, man, that's cool. That's cool. You're good. I forgive you. You're good. All right. 
So later on that day, they did baptisms. And and I didn't feel like at that point that I wanted to get baptized or that I need to get baptized. I probably should have because I just lied. <laughs> but anyways, whoever wanted to be baptized, get, get baptized. So they had this line of people that were in our class that week and they, they got baptized. That guy was one that went up to get baptized. And so they held a mic in front of him uh, just before he got in the water and they said, you know, have you ever been baptized before? You know, what's your story or whatever? And he says, you know what? He says, when I came here to this, this program, he said, I, I didn't even, I wasn't saved. I haven't given my life to Jesus, but today I'm telling you, I'm giving my life to Jesus and I'm, I'm being baptized. Amen. Now I'm, listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I'm the reason <laughs> that this guy saw Jesus. But I feel like there was something within that that the guy said, if this is the way Christianity is, I want to be a part of this. And he gave his life to Jesus. He didn't say, oh, that dude out there lied to me, and therefore I don't want nothing, I don't want nothing to do with Jesus. I mean, he very well could have said that. But God's grace and mercy was so huge that day. I watched that guy give his life to Jesus and and get some freedom in his life through baptism. Because he didn't turn away from God for what I did because God saw to it that he had a tree of life sitting in front of him. Amen? Amen. You know what? I, I wouldn't know that guy if he walked in this church today. I wouldn't know him from Adam. But the fact of the matter is, is I believe God worked in his life because I was man enough to admit and take responsibility for what my sin was. Amen. Imagine how different things would be if Adam's response was along this eight hours line. See, we can experience that. Sin and the enemy's role in temptation would look totally different if we began to walk these steps out. <clears throat> the result of these eight hours will help us walk in a brand new arena of victory. Amen. Amen. So today, as your pastor, um, if you're here, you're just listening to my, my sermon, you may not go to this church, whatever the case may be, I declare over you today freedom. Amen. And there are, there are steps that you can take. There are things that you can do methodically to put you in that place of knowing that when we do get over into sin, when we do step into that, to keep from becoming a slave to sin, we have eight R's to, to walk out and begin to uh, not only in, uh, not only impact our life, but to impact the life of the people around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Did you all enjoy that today? Yeah. Did you get anything from that? All right. Let's, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for this day. I glorify you and praise you and honor you, God, for your goodness. I thank you, God, that you have given us the ability to get free from sin and to walk free from sin. God, but I also thank you that you've given us a way that when we do step into that sin, that we have a way of acknowledging what we've done and to walk out methodically a place where we can get back right with you, not only right with you, but right with others and right with ourselves so that we can walk in freedom from addiction, from slavery, from from just flat-out everyday sin. 
God, we can walk above temptation. We can, when we are tempted, we don't have to go down that path. God, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness and mercy. God, the only way that we can do that is by your son, Jesus. And I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, knowing that we needed a way out. We needed to be rescued from this thing called sin. So God, I pray that if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice that that has not entered into relationship with you, has not entered into relationship with Jesus, has not ever given their lives to Jesus. If there's anybody in this room or anybody watching uh, online or, or listening to it on a podcast, God, I pray that right now that they would say, Jesus, I don't know what this all means, but I believe that you died on the cross for me and I believe you were resurrected from the dead to bring restoration to my life. And I need you. I don't know what this looks like walking this out, but I do know that there is something missing in my life and it's you, Jesus, and I give my life to you and ask you to give me your life. If that's you today and you've never prayed that prayer, you've never asked that, you've never said yes to Jesus before, If I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to make you come up, and I'm not going to make you say anything. But if you've received Jesus for the very first time today and you said yes to him, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody like that in this room? Thank you, Father. Maybe today you have said yes to Jesus at one time, but you're not walking with him. Sin or whatever the case may be has kept you separated from him, but today you found a way to get back to him. If that's you today and you're making a recommit to his life, you're adding another R of recommitting to him and making him your lifestyle from this point forward. Uh, if that's you today, would you raise your hand? Is anybody like that? Yeah, I see you. Yeah, I got you. Got you. Got you. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray that these who have raised their hands, God, I pray that your your peace and your your everlasting comfort would would just blanket them, God, in in the in the case of of being free, living free. And from this moment forward, they walk in freedom. We thank you for it. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.